This is Health Dose, a conversational podcast that focuses on issues surrounding you and your family's health. I'm Jerry O'Donnell, and today on Health Dose, we're talking about youth sports and injury prevention. Dr. Daniel Diaz is a family medicine physician with specialized fellowship training in non-surgical sports medicine. Dr. Diaz provides sports injury evaluation, treatment, and preventative care to athletes of all levels and ages through MidMichigan Health's WellSport program. We asked Dr. Diaz, is it better for a preteen or teen athlete to focus on one sport or cross-train by participating in a variety of sports? So it's always better to be involved in several things. You know, athletes want to be a hockey player or a baseball player, and that's excellent. And your main sport can be one specific sport. But the more cross-training you do with other sports, like if you're a hockey player and you do cross-country or you do soccer, you get a lot more building of muscles and different muscles that you don't necessarily use in that sport that you're currently playing. So I think cross-training is the key thing. And if you want to specialize in any sports, you can do so or be the hockey athlete, but make sure that you take some time off throughout the year. So your best conditioning for basketball may be running cross-country. Exactly. And what's the importance of cross-training like that? Is it just to make you a better athlete? Well, for example, in football, if you're an offensive lineman or defensive lineman, you play a very static position only using the same repetitive muscles. But if that offensive lineman goes and plays a different sport like rugby or does some rowing or things like that where you work out different muscle groups, you become a much better and well-rounded athlete, and it significantly decreases your risk of injury. So injury prevention is part of it. Oh, 100%. People who sports specialize are at a higher risk of injury because the sport they play causes repetitive use of that same joint. So baseball is a classic one. So if you play baseball year-round and you're a pitcher, for example, all you're using really is that shoulder. And that shoulder is continually being stressed through throwing that you do. And if you don't play any other sports, you tend to overuse that one joint. It's not just overuse of what you are using, but you could develop deficits in other part of the body. Yes. Mm-hmm. How is that likely to manifest itself? So, for example, a pitcher who just does shoulder work to be a faster pitcher, when he has to go run the bases, he's much more likely to strain a muscle or pull a hamstring, tear his quad or other things because all that has become deficient in his work to strengthen his shoulder only or Mm. use his shoulder for sport. What are the most common injuries you see in young athletes? A lot of times it's overuse injury, tendonitis in pitchers, rotator cuff, labral tears, but most of them involve overuse of the muscles and the tendons from just repetitive use in that one sport. And usually it's a year-round athlete who plays in several leagues throughout the year. Is it more shoulders or more lower body? Depends on the sport. So a soccer athletes much more likely to have knee tendonitis issues like patellar tendonitis or the kneecap tendon. Pitchers, obviously baseball shoulder stuff is more common. We talked about how important it is to cross train and to work out different parts of your body. But even for an athlete who is conditioned, it's very important to warm up before exercise and before performance. That's right. Yep. Before you start any significant amount of exercise, you want to warm up. And there's two types of ways to do it. There's static stretching and dynamic stretching. Static stretching is more like stretching your hamstring. So you just stand in one spot and stretch that one specific muscle. Dynamic warm-ups are more like jumping jacks where you're doing activities to warm up the joints and prepare them for sports. It's much better to do that static stretching after you've done some dynamic warm-up because the muscles respond a lot better once they're warmed up. And then after workout, it's important to stretch as well to cool off the muscles and have a cool down period. What's going on with your joints and muscles, your soft tissue, when you're doing that dynamic and static stretching? What are you trying to do? 
So static stretching, you're physically just stretching a muscle. The reason why it's a little bit more dangerous and increases your risk of injury if you do it when you're cold or not before you've warmed up is because you're physically stretching a muscle that hasn't been warmed up yet. With dynamic warm-ups, you warm up that muscle, get that tendon working, and it's much more responsive to stretching and handles it much better. We're learning tons of information, particularly about distance running, when it comes to the stretching needed when you're cooling down. I think that's not anything that was taught to me when I was in gym class years and years ago. What's the importance of the cool down stretch? Yeah, this has become a new thing recently in the last five, 10 years or so. It wasn't common before. Before it was just static stretching. You stretch before you work out and you go run. Now it's much more involved with dynamic warm-ups and cool down stretching. The reason why it's important to stretch after you're done working out is because it allows those muscles to not just tighten up on you after a long run, especially if you're doing long distance running, half marathons, marathons, and even longer than that. Those muscles have been working repetitively for possibly hours. And when you just stop working out abruptly, it doesn't give them that time to cool down, get rid of all those byproducts you've built up from the stress of running. So one could say that the cool down stretch is as important or maybe even more so than the warm up stretch because you're trying to recondition those muscles for the next time you need Yeah, them. just as important. Yep. Let's talk about the importance of proper diet and rest to an athlete. Yeah, rest is a big one, especially with high school athletes. The focus is not on sleep, but athletes don't realize how much their performance is deteriorated if they don't get enough sleep. And a good amount of sleep now has been listed as seven to eight hours a night. And if you're not meeting those minimum requirements for sleep, you definitely perform a lot better or a lot worse. And there's been several research studies that show by milliseconds, you can slow down your reaction speed, you can slow down your pitch speed. So I think in an athlete who's geared towards creating a future in that sport and wants to be competitive, as a parent, you need to focus on teaching them the outcomes of getting proper sleep. Mm -hmm. it means that they perform better and they can stand out among other peers that are playing the sport without sleep. At the time of this taping, it's the middle of July and high school football players are prepping for their two-a-days. That's a really big deal too. I mean, the amount of exercise you get in a day and not just sleeping, but the amount of downtime where you're not exercising, but you're awake is important. Yeah, for sure. Especially now as we transition into the heat, hydration, you mentioned diet in your question and hydration is a key point now in summer with these two-a-days. As a parent, you need to make sure your child is aware that he needs to or she needs to stay properly hydrated pre-workout, during their practice, and then after the practice. Just as important as stretching and sleeping. Heat stroke is a big issue, and there's several guidelines that manage the temperature outside, the humidity outside, and tell you how long your child can practice that day. So you want to make sure as a parent that your coach is aware of those guidelines and is following them because there could be serious risk of injury if they play out in the heat for too long. We're going to circle back to diet in a minute here, but you pointed toward hydration. What, for once and for all, is the best thing for you to use for hydration when you're working out and then post-workout? Far and above, water is the best thing. A lot of these sports drinks you drink like Gatorade have a lot of sugar in them and they can be dehydrating, especially if you drink any caffeinated drinks. That becomes a diuretic, so you lose a lot more water through urination when you're drinking caffeinated products. So cutting down caffeine and just drinking water is the best solution. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to add Gatorade, I think watered down Gatorade would be the better solution than just straight Gatorade or Powerade or watered down drink. Gatorade. And again, I want you to repeat that sometimes the sports drinks can lead to more urination and can cause actually more dehydration. That's right. Yep. 
What's the modality where the, what, what's causing the amount of sugar in those drinks is, is, is excessive and they sell you on the electrolyte products in those drinks, but the electrolytes aren't near enough to replenish any sort of loss you've had during a sweaty, intense practice. So mm. water is the key thing to stay hydrated with. Both during and after practice. During and after. Yep. Okay. What about chocolate milk? Chocolate milk is excellent. Uh, I would say a post-workout. It'd be the same as drinking like a protein shake after a workout. And there is a place for that in people who have been lifting and who want to build muscle and mass. Mm -hmm. That would be more involved with a dietitian and having a routine where you do intake a certain amount of protein. And that falls into your daily diet. For hydration alone, water is the best. If you're a weightlifter or you're trying to build mass, then there is a role for specialty drinks. And I think after a workout, chocolate milk fits that because it has the protein, it has the carbs, and it can replenish your muscles. That having been said, hydration is something that occurs around the clock, not just on the schedule where you're working out. That's right. It's yep. really something we need to focus on 24-7. Exactly. If you spent the day before dehydrated and you go play the following day, it's going to affect you just as bad as if you hydrated right before the game. And mm -hmm. Back to nutrition. What are the specific requirements that a teen athlete might have over and above what they're normally getting from their family's diet? Above all, it's you don't want to complicate things too much with a high school athlete. I think as a parent, you just need to focus on a well-rounded diet with plenty of vegetables, lean meats, and white proteins like chicken, fish, turkey. Just a balanced diet, I think, meets all the requirements that an athlete would need. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't get too bogged down in the details of creating specialty diets or anything like that at this stage in their playing career. What are some other ways to prevent injuries in children when it comes to sports? I think definitely following along in the sports specialization line there, making sure that your child plays a lot of different sports. If they only want to play baseball, that's fine. Or if they only want to play basketball, but they should, the recommendation is currently they should take several months off a year from playing that primary sport. So if you want to play baseball year round, you need to take at least four months off of baseball altogether mm -hmm. and then pick it up again the following year. So I think just having a well-rounded athlete decreases your risk of injury. Also, preparing your child to start a sport is key as well. So talking to the coaches and having them give you a heads up on what they will likely need. So if you're going to get into baseball, you might want to start working on some shoulder exercise. Or if you're going to get into basketball, some lower extremity exercises and make sure that your child has the muscle buildup and he can start pre-working before he, he or she gets into that sport. And then the last thing I think to prevent injury is making sure the gear fits well. So making sure they're ready for the sport they're going to play. In football, a big thing is cleats. If you're going to be playing on turf versus grass field, you want to make sure you have cleats that work for grass or for turf. Grass cleats on turf can significantly increase your risk of injury, specifically knee injuries. So if your child plays on both, then you can buy a medium tight cleat that can work on both surfaces. So those are things to watch out for as well. The point being the feel that you have with the turf changes with those different kinds of shoes and the different kind of surface you're playing on, and that can affect everything below the hips. Yeah, so it's actually the depth of the cleat. So grass cleats are designed to be much larger than turf cleats, and if you have a grass cleat that's digging into turf, you're going to stop your foot motion much more dramatically than on grass, and that leads to ACL tears, MCL tears, and all those ligament tears that we hear about mm -hmm. on the radio. And to your point, four months off each year, does not mean that your athlete needs to be all out for eight months of the year and then on Xbox those four months. No, just <laughs> just not in that a sport. Different sport. A different sport. That's exactly. what you meant by time off. Yes. Is there a correlation between the age that a child begins the sport and their predisposition to injuries short term or long term? 
No. So you can start sport as young as you want. And once they're ready to ice skate, they can go ice skate and start playing hockey. The key is, again, to just make sure that they're a well-rounded athlete, especially at a young age of four or five years old. There's no reason they should be playing just hockey. They should be able to experiment with other things because you have no idea what they're going to be good at or what they're going to end up enjoying in life. And if you just force them to do one sport at four years old, there's a high likelihood of just psychological burnout. Mm-hmm. And since we're in the heat of the summer at the time of this taping, let's talk a little bit about heat exhaustion, the symptoms, the warning signs, the treatment. So heat exhaustion, heat stroke, it's all a spectrum, starting with heat illness. It's something all parents and coaches should be aware about. There's several guidelines and posters you can print out online. You just Google heat illness poster and it'll come up on Google Images. I think every parent should take the time to just read through that, maybe go over it with their kids who are going to start sport in July or in the summer. Basically, what you look for is a spectrum of symptoms. So initially, you might just have muscle cramping. If they're describing symptoms of muscle cramping or significant fatigue while they're playing, right there, that should be kind of hitting you that maybe that player should be hydrating a little bit more. That progresses into heat illness, where they can have increasing core temperature, they're sweating less, because the body starts to reverse itself as you dehydrate. So you run out of that sweat and you can't cool through evaporation. They start to build up that body heat and that becomes the heat illness part. They get dizzy, they look off balance, and that, if not corrected there, can lead to heat stroke. Heat stroke is when you have altered mental status, so they're no longer oriented to where they are, they're confused, they may be passing out, they're stumbling. At that point, that is a very significant impairment that needs to be treated immediately and it can be life-threatening. The solution to all these problems is hydration, and once you've reached the heat illness stage where you're starting to get more than just muscle cramping and fatigue, you need to start cooling that athlete immediately. They need to stop playing. They need to take their pads off. If they have a lot of pads and protective gear on, they need to get into a shaded area and start cooling with wet towels, possibly a fan over those wet towels. And the number one treatment for all of this, including heat stroke, is an ice bath. So if you have access to that, putting them in an ice bath immediately and always calling 911 if you're going to get to this point where you're starting to cool an athlete down. That's family medicine physician Daniel Diaz, D.O. As always, if you have health concerns, the best place to start is your primary care provider. If you need help finding a primary care provider, go to midmichigan.org doctors. And for more information on Dr. Diaz and the Wellsport program at MidMichigan Health, go to midmichigan.org Wellsport. I'm Jerry O'Donnell. Hope you'll check back again soon for another edition of Health Dose.